So let's get ready to enter into the Word. We're going to be in Abraham. In Abraham. We're going to be in. We're going to be talking about Abraham. We're going to be in Genesis chapter twelve. So if you want to start moving that way, um, why don't we pray? Lord, thank you for your Word. We thank you that you are very much in the middle of this. Lord, I thank you specifically because without you, I am nothing. I am a broken vessel who needs you. My words are fall flat without your power. So fill my words to make them your words. May they be what you want us to hear. Father, open our hearts and our minds to your spirit and to speak to us exactly what we need to hear from you today. And the beauty of your Holy Spirit is that I can say the same thing and you will speak different things to each of us. We thank you for that. Lord, we dedicate this time and we want your will in our lives and in this moment. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. I have to make a correction. I did this in first service too. Last week, I said that the Tower of Babel happened before Noah. And that was wrong. I caught myself um, about five minutes in after I had said it. I didn't want to disrupt the flow. And this crazy thing is, is I did it again in this service too. And so I want to correct that. The Tower of Babel happened after Noah. We're going to talk about that today. So uh, if I, if you're sitting there going, that doesn't, that's not what I remember. It's, you're right. That's not what you remember. I messed up. So uh, we have been looking at the big stories that we learned as kids in Sunday school. We started with creation. We talked about the fall of humanity to sin. Uh, we looked at how humanity turned to wickedness so much that every thought was an evil thought uh, and that, that God was ready to just, he regretted making any of it and was ready to just throw it all in the bin. But there was a family, Noah's family. They were righteous in God's eyes. And so God decided to save Noah and his family. And he told Noah, I want you to build an ark and I'm going to bring all of the animals Two of them each, a male and a female, and you're going to save them on this ark. And there's going to be this big flood, and then when the flood's over, you will go back out into the world and repopulate it. We talked about how Noah spent a hundred and so years building this ark, preaching righteousness, talking about repentance. And that at any point, if any person who heard him took to heart and changed, they would have made it onto the ark, but no one did. We talked about how Christ is our ark. How if we trust in him, if we repent when we mess up, he saves us. We talked about how at the end, when the, when the flood is over, Noah and all the animals come out, they worship God. We talked about how God put his rainbow, his bow, in the sky to remind him of his promise to not destroy us again. Right? We talked about how we could be like Noah. So the story continues. Noah and his family, they come down from the mountain and they multiply. But they don't really go anywhere. They create a little community and that little community becomes a bigger community. It becomes a city called Babel. Men decide that they're going to build this giant tower up to reach up to God. 
God sees this and he decides that this needs to not happen. And I believe it's because he wanted humanity to not stay in one place. He wanted them to disperse. He had this giant planet that they could go inhabit all of it, but they were all in the same space. So what he did is he mixed up all the languages. All of a sudden, your best friend who you've known since you were a baby is speaking some of the languages you don't understand, and it's a bit confusing. The cool thing is, is that not every family just spoke their own little language, but there were groups of people who all spoke the same language. So you might not be able to communicate to your best friend, but the guy across the street, he seems to understand you and you can understand him. And these little groups of people formed together and they became new little tribes and they all spread out. I believe that was the purpose of Babel. Okay? They spread out and they go to different parts of the world. And one of these groups is where we find our character today of Abram. Those groups have multiplied. There are civilizations now around the place. There are nations. There are countries even. And there's this man named Abram. And God comes to him. And we're going to look at, I don't want to say it's the first half of Abraham, Abram's life because it's really the last part of his life. He's already had three quarters of his life. Not This isn't the first half of it. But this is the first sort of half of his big story. Okay? And so we're going to look at the very beginning of it. This is in chapter 12 of Genesis. This is when God called Abram, and he gives him a promise. So if you've, if you've got that open, or if you want to follow along the screen, we're going to start in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go, to your, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse you. All, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people who had, they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at, the at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. The word of the Lord. All right. We find Abram in his home country with his people where he feels comfortable. He's still in the household of his own father. And the Lord says to Abram, I want you to leave here. I want you to leave your people. I want to leave your father's household to a land I'm going to show you. 
He doesn't give him a GPS location and say, we're going to go here and we're going to take this route. And if we cut across this mountain range, it'll cut us about 10 minutes out of our trip. He doesn't give him any of that. He just says, I'm going to take you to a land and I want you to go with me. And then he says, he gives him a promise. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and your name will be great. What is a nation? A nation is a group of people, right? It's a, it's a population. It's a, I mean, we would say it's a country, right? Let's look at Abram's family at this point. Abram's family consists of Abram and Sarah. It does not mention that Abram and Sarah have any children because they don't. Sarah is barren. She has not been able to produce children. They mention Lot, Abram's nephew, who decides to go with them. I believe Abram asked him to come along. Because it would have been common in that culture and in that time that if Abram was unable to produce a male heir, that his inheritance would go to his next male descendant, which would have been Lot. So Abram is saying, all right, I'm going to go. God's going to make us into a nation. So I'm going to have to have children. I have no children, let alone any male children. But I can bring my nephew sort of as my backup plan. And they do. God then goes on to say that I'm going to make your name great. I, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I'm going to curse those who curse you. God is telling Abram, listen, you're my guy. I'm picking you. You're the one that I'm backing. If anybody comes against you, they are not coming against you. They are coming against me. If anybody comes alongside you and blesses you, I will come alongside them and bless them. All of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure for Abram. But God's giving him a little bit of foreshadowing. He's saying, listen, there's going to be this great nation that comes from you. And from that great nation, there's going to be a blessing that will be a blessing for all of us. We know that blessing is Jesus. So Abram goes out. He takes God for his word. He says, all right, I'm in. And he takes the first step and he leaves. And God directs him. We don't know exactly how. There's not really any indication that the Lord walked with them or like the, like the uh, Israelites later in the Exodus. We don't know if a pillar of fire directed them. We don't know how God directed them. We just know that God led them to the land of Canaan. And then he says, this is where you stop. And it says that Abram then goes back and forth and he, he walks the land. And then he arrives at the tree at, um, at, at Shechem and, and God appears to him and says, this is the land I will give to your offsprings. So the Lord, so Abram built an altar to worship the Lord. And then it says he goes down and he makes camp. He sets up camp. This is the land God plans to give him and his offspring. So he sets up camp. 
and they live life. They continue with what they were doing in Haran, but they're doing it here now. Abram was a fairly successful like land person. He had sh sheep and goats and livestock, and he had a he was wealthy. And so he sets up business. There's a famine that hits, and Abram and his family have to leave in order to get food. And they go to Egypt. And they go to Egypt, and, and Abram comes up with this plan. He says, listen, Sarai, you are beautiful. And every man is going to want you. So when we get there, if anyone asks you, if I am your husband, you are to say, no, you are my sister, because I don't want anyone to kill me to get to you. Abraham didn't always make the best choices. Sort of like us, we don't always make good choices. But that's what happens. They get there. The Egyptians see Sarai, and they see how beautiful she is, and they go and they tell the Pharaoh. There's like, Pharaoh, there's a new girl in town, and she is a looker. And the Pharaoh comes, and she asks Abram about her, and they do what they said. She says that she's his sister, and so the Pharaoh's like, then I want to marry her. That's a backfire. That wasn't the plan. It wasn't the plan. But Abram goes with it. And it isn't until God curses the Pharaoh that the and that they're like, uh, and he goes to Abram and he goes, hey, you said she was your sister. She's your wife. Why did you lie to me? And they kick him out of Egypt. Not that they don't kill him, but they kick him out of Egypt. So they go back to Canaan. At this point, Lot and Abram have both gotten too big for their britches as far as the land is concerned, and they have to separate. Their flocks are destroying the valley because they, they are overeating too much. And so Abram and, uh, and Lot say, which way are we going to go? Lot sees that the land over by Sodom and Gomorrah is really pretty and really nice. Plus, there's a nice city there. And he says, I want to go that way. And Abram says, okay, fine. And he goes the other way. And they split up. Lot and his family get just entangled in all of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see the stories of, of God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and Abram pleading with God not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and pleading to be able to save his family. And God lets him save his family but won't save the city. I mean, it got so bad that Lot's kids, his daughters, were basically prostitutes in the, in the city. But God lets them be redeemed. And, he, and they're taking him out of the city and God's going to destroy the city. And, and he says, do not look back. Do not look back in some sense of, I wish I was still there. That's kind of what it's insinuating. And Lot's wife does. And for, for those of us who know the story, Lot's wife looks back to Sodom and Gomorrah and she turns into a pillar of salt and is dead. Abram and Sarai still are without children. I mean, that's the first part of this promise. That God's going to make them into a nation. They can't be made into a nation if they have no children. And God comes in and he tries to remind them of the promise. And, and he tries to encourage them to wait. And, and it's okay to be waiting. 
I mean, we're talking like a decade. Like, it's not just like, oh, they've been waiting a year or two. Like, it's a long time. And eventually, Sarai gets this idea that maybe God's wanting them to sort of, you know, do something about it. Maybe they need to help God with the plan. Because God needs our help, really. I mean, that's just to be honest. That's what I've read all through the Bible, that God needs my involvement. He can't do it without me. No. No. God does not need us. He uses us, but he doesn't need us. But Sarah has this brilliant idea. Sarah is approaching, like, almost 100. And she's like, I am not going to be able to have any children. So she says, Abram, you take my, my slave, my Egyptian slave, Hagar, as your wife. They get married. And from Hagar, she thinks the descendants will come. And it does. From Hagar, Abram has a son named Ishmael. The promise is beginning to be fulfilled for them, they think. They think they've got it worked out. They think that the, the plan is finally moving along at a speed they are happy with. But God comes and he says, listen, that was not the plan. I did not intend for you to do this. I intend for the promise to come through your wife, Sarah. I want her to have a child. You will have a child a year from today. And Sarah, by being a good wife, is sort of listening in as she's taking care of things. And she hears this and laughs out loud because she is beyond child-rearing age. And the Lord says that you will name him Isaac, which means laughter, because she laughed. And God was true to his word. A year later, they have Isaac. And God tells... God tells Abraham and, and Sarah that, that it is through him that the promise will be fulfilled. When Isaac is weaned from Sarah, which would have been like around probably two-ish. They had this great feast to celebrate. And Sarah sees something that sparks great jealousy in her. She sees Ishmael making fun of Isaac. And she goes to Abram, Abraham at this point, and she says, you need to send Hagar and Ishmael away. You have, to, you have to get rid of them. Because I will not allow Ishmael to inherit what my son Isaac should have. And this, is, this brings great distress to Abraham. Because he loves Ishmael. Ishmael at this point would have been the golden child. He was the oldest son. He was the one who would inherit everything. He is the one that the promise was to, going to go through. of sending him away was overwhelming for Abraham. But God assured him that it's okay. I want to send the descendants through Isaac. I want the promise to go through him. And I will take care of Ishmael and Hagar. 
You do not need to fear for them. For from Ishmael will come even another nation. So Abraham does it. He gets food and water together. He gives it to Hagar and Ishmael and he sends them away. And the story goes that they go out and they go into the wilderness and they get into the desert and they are dismayed and God appears to Hagar and promises her that he will take care of them. And he does. And from Ishmael comes a great nation, a huge nation. These two boys are the beginning of what will eventually become the Middle East conflict. Because the nation that is the Arab nation comes from Ishmael. They claim Ishmael as their father. And the Jewish people claim Isaac as their father, as they should. And the conflict is the fact that both of them say that they are Abraham's son. And that each of them are the one the promise should have gone through. Each claims it. And that is the reason they are so embittered and will not give in. What I want us to look at is Abraham's faithfulness to God through this process. Abraham is not a young man when God comes to him. He's 75. So those of you who think God has got you to the place where you're retired and you're good to go and you're going to... This is when God called Abraham. Noah was 400. God could call any of us at any point in our lives to do something great. And God tells Abram, listen, I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to show you. Abram had to take a step out without having any idea where he was going. That is terrifying. I like to know the plan. I like to, to know where I'm going. When I'm in the car and, and we're going somewhere I've never been before, like I have to see the map. Like, I don't do well with just people saying you're going to take a left here, you're going to take a left there, or right there, because I, like, I'm a visual person. I just, I have to see it. And so, this would have been challenging for me. But Abram takes that step. He steps out in faith, believing that the promise that has been made to him will come about. And then life happens and things happen and, and, and Abram makes some decisions that are not good. And when they find themselves in Egypt, Abraham makes that stupid decision. And you would think Abram would learn from his mistakes, but he doesn't because later he's in the court of a guy named Abimelech and he does the exact same thing. He says, Sarah's my my sister and the guy's like then I want her as my wife and he doesn't say anything and it's not until again God curses them that he speaks up 
fear was a motivator. It can motivate all of us. That even though we can live out faithfully with God, we don't always, it doesn't make us immune to making mistakes and messing up. And then Sarai and Sarah and Hagar, that whole situation. Sometimes we just don't feel like God's plan's moving fast enough for us. Abraham was afraid that he was going to die before he had any children. Sarah didn't believe she could have any more children, or any children. She hadn't had any. So they worked out a plan to help the situation. God calls each of us to different things. And sometimes those things take time to develop. Sometimes what God has called us to, maybe it's a relationship we need to have with somebody to bring about their salvation. And we think that if we can get them moving along this path quicker, they'll get salvation quicker. But sometimes we just have to let God work in the moment. And we just have to be present. If Abram and, Hagar, and Sarah had just been present, then the whole conflict that would develop from, from the Hagar-Sarai thing would have never happened. I believe God has big plans for this community and for the people of this church. I believe that he wants this community to be transformed. And I think that we get to be active participants in that. And sometimes that is going to mean we need to wait until God says, okay, now is the time to step. And I think that when he tells us to wait, that's the hardest time because we don't like waiting. Most people don't like waiting. I don't like waiting. So we have to really pray for God to give us patience, for God to help us to be sensitive to when we should move. And then when he says to move, we must move boldly. We must take that step. Knowing that this is when he says to do it. This is the next thing we should be doing. And we will pray that we don't make too many mistakes along the way as we make the, our way down the path God has for our church. Knowing that sometimes when we make mistakes, God can still redeem them. Like he did with Hagar and Ishmael. He still blessed them. Abraham never saw the fulfillment of his promise. When Abraham died, he had one son, Isaac. Well, he had two, but Isaac was the only one around. When he died, he's, he was not a great nation. When he died, Abraham's name was not super well known yet. 
He was known in the area as a wealthy man. But he wasn't this great name yet. When he died, they did not control the land. They lived there, but it was controlled by the Canaanites. When he died, his family had not been a blessing to the entire world yet. Sometimes God calls us to something that is much bigger than just us. And we're just a part of whatever it is he's got planned. But we must be faithful in our part. We must be faithful in the things that God has given us to do. So that the big picture can be eventually fulfilled. Because Isaac will have children. And one of those children is going to have 12 children. 12 sons. And his children will become known as the nation of Israel. They will have so many kids and grandkids. And all of a sudden, when they leave Egypt, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, there's like 2 million of them. They are a nation. And God will give them this land again. He does fulfill the promise. Unfortunately, Abraham just doesn't see it yet. But he knows he must be faithful and take the steps God told him to take. And we must be faithful too. To take those steps that God is calling us to take. To pray against the fear that would make us hesitate. To pray for the patience when we must to act boldly when we are called to act. We pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we ask that you will be with us, for we are just people. And without you, man, do we just we can botch things up left and right. Help us to be sensitive to your movements. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit and how you are guiding us. Both in our own personal calls that you have given to each and every one of us and as a call to this community. We thank you. We love you. We trust you. Continue to work in each and every one of us. Continue to work your will and help us to come alongside you in that. In your name we pray. Amen.